We'd like to cheer for our kids. Hey, just want to clarify too that movie night is for a first kindergarten through sixth grade. Kindergarten, kindergartens through through sixth grade. So if, if your kids are younger than that, they probably won't turn you away, but just, just to clarify, right? right? Okay, all right. So k- kindergarten through sixth grade. So I, sometimes I fall, my maturity level falls into that age group. So maybe I'm going to qualify for, for, uh, for that after all. So hey, we like to do, we're, you know, we're doing what we're calling a house pack uh, giveaway uh, every, uh, every weekend this month. This is our, one of our new City Life bags from the, from the swag shop. And uh, it has in here a book that Shanika has written and uh, who's going to be soon to be Shanika House in December. So this is book, The, the Eye Inside of Me. And then there's, I think there's a little music offering from, uh, from Chris, who's our uh, creative arts director. So I thought that I would give this tonight to Shani, who's going to be able to give this away in the ministry that she works in. We're going to be talking about her ministry in just a minute. But then, I th- what's that? No, oh, thank, thank you for that. I like affirmation, Kevin. I like it. I'm all about it. All right. All right. All right. And then I have another one here. I know. I know. It's not real money, though. It's not real. Well, it kind of is because you can buy stuff with it. But Pelican Snow, you know, last weekend we did a giveaway because we've been doing what we call 10 for 10 all summer that if you give away 10 reach cards you get to enter in your name for a drawing and uh and and so we did that last week and uh, Jessica Ashworth won that and so but but we felt like we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge that Joshua who's part of our college young professional he's also always on the praise team he's not actually here tonight so I'm going to give it to David and Hannah because they're mostly trustworthy that this will make it to, to them but this is for uh uh these are uh, coins that you can turn in at Pelican Snow for him and 10 of his friends because he was loading up that. So he is either a liar or he gave out a whole lot of reach cards. And if you know Joshua, you know it's the latter. So come on, give it up for Joshua. So we just wanted to acknowledge him. He worked so hard all summer. And so we, we talked about it last week. We have a culture of honor. So we just wanted to acknowledge him and recognize him. All right, before we get, I'm excited tonight because this is a series launch weekend for us. And if you've been uh, with us for any amount of time, you know our launch weekends for a new series, they are big for us. It sets the pace for the series. It sets the tone for the series. So we know that God's going to do some deep things in all of your hearts tonight. And But before we get into that, which I'm going to talk about that on the screen, I, ha- I got to tell you a faith promise story. Another faith promise story came in this week. So faith promise is something we launched at the beginning of the year that we said if you call City Life your home, that you would pray that God would give you a number, a financial figure, and that you would believe by faith that somehow he's going to provide it. If you can figure out how it's going to come, it's not a faith promise. Does that make sense? So all of us, we prayed, God gave us numbers, and so we made a promise that God, when this money comes in, we're going to give it. And we just want to keep encouraging you because if you were like me, a lot of faith promise started coming in in February and March and here we are towards the end of September and our story hasn't played out yet and so right we could say God and God said hey it's a year it got 12 months and so this week another one came in that I want to share with you so I'm reading this on behalf of someone else a lot of times with the giving we like to protect people's privacy so this is coming into this year my wife and I were facing a new financial challenge one income we have always been a dual income family and we were entering a new season of life And not only have have we been faithful in practicing priority percentage giving here at City Life, we had several other causes that we supported as well. And we knew that on one income, generosity was going to need to be redefined for us. 
So started the dreaded process of, of deciding what was going to be cut. Now we knew that tithing wasn't going to change. The amount was, but not the percentage. But the more we prayed, because they were working through what are these other things that they're going to have to cut out. The more we prayed, the more we both felt God was telling us to change nothing. Now, ironically, if I always wanted to work toward a reverse tithe, living on 10% and giving away 90%, maybe this was how God was going to do it, right? That's not the prayer they were hoping for. That God was going to help raise their percentage by lowering their income. So then the church announces that, that we, were going to go, we were going to do an annual faith promise initiative that we would be doing every year going forward. And they're thinking, great, how in the world are we going to be able to do that? But that's why it's called a faith promise. Does that make sense? It's not a practical promise. It's not a goal promise. It's a faith promise. They're going to one income. They feel like God's told them, don't change a thing. They know they can't do that forever because that would be foolish. But they've said, we're going to not change our giving in any way. And we're just going to keep doing it as long as we can. And then we announce a faith promise. And they're saying, gosh, I, we just can't be a part of all of this, but they decided we're going to obey God. We're going to stand in a place of faith. So we made, we made our faith promise. Months in, we get a letter from our mortgage company about our escrow account. They thought, this must be it. Nope, we owed them money. We were short. <laughs> then we got a letter from the insurance company. They said, this must be it. Nope, our rates were going up. So they began this journey of prayer. God, things are moving in the wrong direction for us. We've, we've been faithful. You ever had a conversation like this with God? We're praying things are moving in the direction that's opposite than what we expected. Then it came, not too long ago, a letter from the Veterans Administration. They owed us, and we didn't even know it. We qualified for an adjustment to our monthly check from them, one they were supposed to have paid us months ago. They were going to deposit next month the full amount of all the back pay for several months that they were owed and every month going forward they were going to get an increase on their monthly check the back pay was enough to cover their entire faith promise and the new monthly increase was able to cover all the other charities that they supported with money left over come on is that not huge i know I'm just telling you, if you are willing to step, not places of foolishness, but if you're willing to step in places of faith, stories like that will happen to you. Every year we're going to do a faith promise initiative, and every year we're going to be reading those stories. And if you have a story that you have not shared with us, then share it. We want to be able to share that with the congregation, and again, we'll protect your, your privacy through that. So I hope that if you've got one, you could send it in. Project Hope. We started last year with uh, uh, declaring what we thought our theme for the coming year was going to be. So if you remember, if you were here last September, we felt like God was speaking to us about a new theme that was going to be called Come Up. And so that was our theme for all of this year. So I think this is going to be a, a trend for us that God's going to continue to reveal to us what the theme of the coming year is going to be in September. And then we're going to be able to, as a leadership team, do some strategic planning so we can hit January at full speed. And so I've been sharing with you for a few weeks now that I've believe like our theme for 2015 is going to be the word hope, this idea of hope. And so this is going to be our series that we're launching into. We're calling it Project Hope. We're going to be talking about this more in the weeks and the months to come, but as a leadership team, we feel like this is going to be more than just a sermon series. It's going to be more than a vision for 2015. We feel like that God is in the process of birthing us a vision that's going to take us all the way out to 2020, and this idea of hope is going to be central to it. So let's just pray into that before we get into the message. Father, we just celebrate your goodness tonight. 
That, Father, we, we thank you for this vision that you're birthing inside of us that is hope-based. And we say, let it be, God, that everything that we're supposed to do, everything that we're supposed to accomplish, let it be yes and amen, that you would find us willing, that you would find us faithful, that you would find us courageous, that we would let you stretch us in every way that we need to be stretched so that your will could be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together. Amen. So I just want to highlight, we would be remiss if we just didn't take a second to highlight, this is an area ministry here in this region. It's called Living Light. It's under the umbrella of Established Footsteps, which is led by Sheridan Marvin Thomas. If you've been a part of us throughout this summer, you know that they're making this their church home. And so uh, he's out on a men's getaway, which I think is hilarious. They're on a, like a canoe trip and it is pouring down rain. Paul, you were originally, you were a wise man for pulling out. Of, I know, I know. I was thinking about them. Steve Ruggiero is out there in the rain. There's nothing. Camping is miserable enough, but camping in the rain, it's, I know, I know. Yeah, so anyways, so Sharon and Marvin Thomas lead that. And then within Established Footsteps, there's a ministry called Living Light. I don't know if Shani's in here. Shani can raise your hand that she is the director of Living Light. And, and uh, if you're like me, you probably can't read those uh, words there on the bottom, so I'm going to read them to you. But Living Light is cherished. It's building bridges with books, and it's also jail friends. Cherished is a ministry that they have to women that are trapped in that routine of life through strip clubs and then uh, building bridges with books. If, if, if I'm correct on this, this is a ministry to women who are incarcerated to help them connect with their children at home through books. And so that's why we want to give this house pack to her. She's going to find somebody to give that book to in there. And then Jail Friends is a ministry to, again, women that are incarcerated through letter writing. Is that correct? And so they're going to be doing a training. We just want to make you aware of that. If you are a lady, this is a women's ministry because you're ministering all to women. That uh, It's going to be on October 11th from 9 to 3. You can just jot that note down. There's some information about where, but you can see Shani. I'm telling you, if you are a woman and you call this your church home, you want to check that out because they are doing amazing things, bringing hope to this region through the ministry that they do. So, all right, so we like participation here at City Life. So, it's just to get our brains moving in the right direction, our hearts moving in the right direction. When you hear the word hope, what are some things that you think of? So, you can raise your hand, I'll point to you. It might be a person, it might be a person from your past that was a real inspiration to you. Uh, it might be a word, it might be a synonym that you think of when you think of hope. Uh, it might be a person from the Bible, but just something when you hear the word hope, what's one of the, what's something that comes to mind for you? What's something that comes to mind? Yes, ma'am. You have a cousin named Hope. I know, that's right. So you have, there's people in your life, right? So if you have somebody that's named Hope, then it reminds you of the feeling of hope. Yes, ma'am. Faith. I know. See, all of our young people, we are being led tonight. I know. I like it. I like it, Shanika. Anchors, yes. Faith is an anchor for us. In the back here. Yes, sir. Peace and rest. That's good. Jim, did you have your hand up? Heather? You're a new grandbaby. Yeah, that's good. You guys are doing good. Somebody else, when you think of the word hope, Dustin? Dreams. Dreams, absolutely. I think of mountains being moved. Mountains being moved. Come on, that's good. Somebody else? Life. Life. How about somebody else? Anybody else? KG? Mustard seed, right? The faith of a mustard seed. Is that Sandy over there? God's promises. Yeah, yeah. When, when you see the word hope, when you hear the word hope, that there should just be a, a, it might start slow, but if, you were, if we were to just sit here, if we had time tonight just to meditate on that word, right? The book of Psalms, the first chapter talks about meditating on God's word. That, that 
that all of our hearts would just begin to be filled with good thoughts and people from our past, that hope is, is, is this part of this journey in life. And we are surrounded by people in this world who are hopeless. And this is going to be part of this journey of Project Hope, is that we as a church believe that we are called to bring hope to the world. In fact, this verse in Romans that we've introduced to you before in Romans 4.18 says that even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants that you will have. You're going to have so many children that you're going to be the father of nations, right? But he gets to 100 years old. His wife is in their 90s. They don't have a child yet together, but yet he did not give up on hope. We're talking about hope for 2015. We're talking about hope in this series because the world experiences the emotion of hope, but we're called to something much deeper. Anybody can have hope, but the Bible teaches us that it's only through the power of God at work inside of us are we able to hope when there's no reason for hope, and that's what we're called to do as the body of Christ. In fact, our life verse in 1 Peter 3.15 says that when people ask us why we have such a hope, we should be prepared to give an answer. The kind of hope when there's no reason for hope is the kind of hope that inspires people in the world to say, how is it possible that you can do that? How is it possible that you can believe when there's no cause for you to believe? It's one of our greatest witnesses that we have as devoted followers of Christ. And as a church, we want to be a place where we hope big. So we're going to dig into Ruth tonight, the book of Ruth, the story of Ruth. It's not too far in. If you start in Genesis and keep turning it, not too long, you're going to get to the book of Ruth. I think we're going to get to two of them tonight. We'll see. We don't want to hurry through it. But there's four insights that we're going to pull out of the book of Ruth. And again, we're going to do two tonight, time permitting, and then we'll do two next week together. So let's read this together. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Or if you've got something digital, you can swipe there. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, which means God is my king. And he took his wife, Naomi. Naomi means my delight. And they had two sons, Machlon and Kilion. We're going to call them Malan and Kilion because that's a lot easier to say. Malan means sick, and Killian, it means wasting away. Score one for the parents, right? I mean, come on, you can do a little bit better than that. If you're naming your children, you do not, do not pick these out for your kids, right? Somebody did them a favor, God is my king, my delight, and then they turned around, they have two sons, and they named them sick and wasting away. Terrible. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elamelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. Now the two sons, they married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malan and Kilian died, and this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. Now, I think this is one of the most overlooked miracles in the Bible, that there is a mother-in-law and her two daughter-in-laws. They've had such a great relationship over an entire decade that they want to stay together. Just throwing that out there. 
With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me, and may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you come with me? Can I still birth, give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, and, and I am very old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married, another translation, which we're going to hit next week, says, even if I had the hope to believe. Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not. No, my daughter's things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. We're going to talk about that tonight. And again, they wept together. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. But Ruth, here comes the famous text. Ruth clung tightly to, to Naomi. Look, Naomi, she said to you, your, your, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, and you should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. A woman of hope. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Come on, can we have the kind of hope that silences the world's despair? So the two of them continued on their journey, and when they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Listen to what she says. She says, do not call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitterness. For the Almighty has made my life, has made it bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's a short book. We're not going to read it all tonight. I hope that you read it this weekend. We're giving you some homework. If you've never, if you're not familiar with this story, it is an amazing story of hope and the faithfulness of God. So this is the first one I want to say, which I know might surprise you. I want to suggest to you tonight that if you're going to be a person of hope, if you're going to be a person who has the ability to hope against hope, you've got to begin by being honest about the doubts you have with God. You've got to be honest about the doubts that are in your heart. There are times where I have doubts. There's times when you have doubts. It's part of our humanity. We are called by Scripture and by God to stand in a place of faith, but I would say to you, you cannot fully stand in a place of faith until you are honest about your doubts. I love the story when the man comes to Jesus for prayer and he says, God, help, help me with my unbelief. All of us have to be honest about the doubt that's in my heart, and what we're going to see together tonight is that if you're not honest about the doubt that's in your heart, then doubt will remain in your heart and it will displace hope. All right, verse 13. Let's look at some of these verses. Verse 13, we're going to do 20 and then 21. Listen to what Naomi says about her life. Verse 13, I'm going to read towards the bottom. Things are far bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. This is her declaration. And I'm going to read 20 and then all of 21. She says, don't call me Naomi. She responded, call me Mara for the Almighty has made life very bitter. She's not saying my life circumstances are hard. She's, right, she's making it personal. She's saying this is God's fault. God has done this to me. I'm angry and I don't even think that he loves me. Verse 21, listen to this. 
When I went away full, the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi? For the Lord has caused me to suffer. The Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. I think these verses make some theological streams nervous, right? If, if, if Naomi were alive today and be in some churches, she would be corrected. She would be challenged. People might say that she's made a negative confession. They would say, don't confess that. And what I would say, if doubt like that is in your heart, you've got to get it out. You can't pretend that it's not there. You can't shove it down deep inside. For some of you, you've got doubt shoved so far deep inside of your heart. It's filling up so much of who you are, there's no room for hope to grow. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You can get this on our podcast, but this idea that futility is the fertility that makes it possible for hope to grow in our hearts. If you read the book of Ruth and adopt the mindset of Naomi that she's been forsaken by God, you miss the principle in the story. She's not been forsaken by God like she thinks. She's being set up by God. She's being favored by God. God has brought her to a dark place. He's brought her to a place of futility because he knows that futility is the fertility that makes it possible for hope to grow in our hearts. We're not going to get all the way there tonight. We're going to get there next week. But as you read through this story, you find that Naomi ends up in a wonderful place. Naomi live, ends up in a beautiful place. It's because of how she began that she was able to get to the place where she ended up. Psalm 137 and 109 and Psalm 69, I'm not going to read all of those, but for my note takers, I'm going to read a little bit out of Psalm 109 and then I'm going to read a little bit out of Psalm 7. I, I try to introduce these words at least once a year. It's imprecation and shigeon. Psalm 137, 109, and 69 are prayers or songs of imprecation and then Psalm 7 is a song of shigeon. Let me explain what that means. I, I always find it curious when people say, I just, I love to start my days with Psalms, right? People say this. I just, I, I want every day, I want to read the Psalms, start my day with the Psalms and talk about how uplifting, how encouraging the book of Psalms is. And, and, and the first thing I think of, have you read the book of Psalms? Have, have you spent any time in the book of Psalms, right? Because Psalm 23 is in there, but, but it's an exception. There are psalms in there. Anthony and I were talking this week. He was talking about Psalm 6 and the encouragement it brought to his heart. There, there are encouraging psalms, but a lot of the psalms are not. I would not recommend that you start your day with these. Right? Let me just give you this one, Psalm 109. You should not get up tomorrow and turn here and read. You will be depressed for the rest of the day. I'm going to start reading verse 7. So, so this is David. He's angry at somebody. When his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. Count his, even his prayers as sins. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. May his children become fatherless and his wife a widow. And may his children wander as beggars. Some of you, you've prayed this over your neighbor. May, may as wander as beggars and be driven from their ruined homes. And may creditors seize his entire estate. And this I'm reading out of the Bible. May creditors seize his entire estate and strangers take all he has earned. Let no one be kind to him. Let no one pity his fatherless children. And may all, you know what, let's, let's just pray that his offspring will die and that his family may be blotted out in a single generation. May the Lord never forget the sin, never, never forget. So always remember the sins of his father, his mother's sins would never be erased from the record. And may the Lord always remember these sins and may his name disappear from human memory. I know, it's heavy stuff, isn't it? Some of you had that conversation with God just earlier today, right? The human heart has a great capacity for love. It has a great capacity for hope. But I am telling you, your heart will not be free to go to those places 
until you are willing to deal with the raw emotions that have a rightful place in our heart because of the tragedies that we face in this life. If you live life for any amount of time, you are going to find yourself in places like this. In churches, do people a disservice by telling people don't think that way, don't pray that way? Come on, it's in the Bible for a reason. Now, you can't live your life that way, but when those feelings are there, God says to you and he says to me, bring those feelings to me. I'm a safe place. Shut yourself up in a closet somewhere and get on your knees and begin to pray. Begin to call out to me and don't do like you do when you're with other people where you're trying to pretend to be somebody you're not. Open up your heart. Give those feelings to me. Make room in your heart for hope. Now Shigeon, it gets better. Shigeon means to stumble around in a drunken stupor. Not because you're intoxicated, but because you're intoxicated with emotion. It's powerful, isn't it? If you've ever been around somebody who's intoxicated or if you've ever experienced that your, yourself, you know, right, your, your speech is slurred, your balance is off, you can't think straight. I don't know anything about that, but other people have told me. Now, I have never experienced emotion that deep, but I know people who have. And maybe some of you here tonight, you've experienced motion that deep. I've been doing pastoral ministry for, for, for 15 years. I've sat in rooms with people and the tragedy that they're facing, their grief is that big. Where it is as though they're intoxicated. Their speech is slurred. They can barely stand up. The, the weight of their pain is so heavy. It is as though they are drunk. It's called a shigeon. Psalm 7. I come to you for protection, oh my God. Save me from my persecutors. Rescue me. If you don't, they will maul me like a lion, tearing me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Oh, Lord, my God, if I have done wrong or if I am guilty of injustice, if I have betrayed a friend or plundered my enemy without cause, then let my enemies capture me. You should picture David stumbling around a room by himself, his speech slurred. He can barely stand up. He's so angry at his situation, so gripped by grief. Let them trample me into the ground and drag my honor into the dust. Arise, O Lord, in anger. Stand up against the fury of my enemies. Wake up. Right? He's saying, God, it feels like you're asleep on the job. Wake up, my God, and bring justice. And he goes on. Verse 17 is the key for us. While we're talking about any connection to the story of Ruth, listen to where he ends up, right? He goes through all of this, this shagayon, this drunken stupor of emotion. Listen to where he ends up in verse 17. I will thank the Lord. Because he is just. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. He gets to 17 because he was willing to wrestle with verses 1 through 16. He gets to a place of hope because he was willing to be honest about his despair. He gets to a place of hope because he was willing to be honest about his doubt. If you've grown up in a church or other people have told you to not doubt or, 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 or to not talk about your doubt, I would say, hey, that, that's bad advice. And that's not even advice that comes out of the Bible. I'm not talking about living in a place of doubt. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But I'm saying if you've got feelings of doubt, if you've got feelings inside of you where, where maybe you feel like God's not done his part, he says to you and he says to me, hey, don't hide those feelings from me. Come, let's work it out together because verse 17 is waiting for you. And if you keep all that doubt, if you keep all that anger, if you keep all that pain suppressed down inside of you, it's going to grow and get bigger and there's no room for hope. Futility is the fertility of the human 
human heart so that hope can grow. It comes to fertilize, to break up the fallow ground of our heart, but then we take it once it's had its work and we give it back to God and what's left is a soul that is fertile for hope to grow. Now this is the risk. Some of you here tonight, you've got doubts and things like that that you have suppressed so far down inside of you. The thought of beginning to deal with those feelings make you nervous, and I can understand that. The thought of dealing with those feelings, it scares you because you're afraid. Because every time maybe you've pulled them out before, you've had this feeling, I, I feel like I'm just going to get stuck there. If I begin to deal with my doubt, if I begin to deal with my pain, I, 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 I'm afraid that I'm going to get stuck in a place where I'm going to be trapped forever. And that's a very real feeling. I don't want you to leave here naive tonight. There is a risk, but can we just say all throughout Scripture, we know that great reward comes with great risk. And if that pain is in there, I'm telling you the, the greater risk is to leave it there. The book of Ecclesiastes, I'm going to read these verses. This is 2.11, 4.4, and 4.16. There's a biblical principle that's taught to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the biblical principle of, of a chasing the wind. A chasing after the wind means that you have given yourself to a meaningless task and there's no hope of it ever being accomplished. Ecclesiastes 2.11 says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Now we could do a whole sermon series on Ecclesiastes, but Ecclesiastes teaches us that even good things in this life, if you ask of them more than they're supposed to give, they will stop fulfilling you. So here in this verse, he's talking about achievement. We understand that achievement is, is it, it gives us a sense of fulfillment. Achievement is a good thing. Accomplishing things is a good thing. If that's all that you live for, it becomes not a good thing. Does that make sense? If you begin to look for it to achievement, to fulfill things in your heart that only God is supposed to fulfill, then you will be chasing after a win your entire life. You'll never be fulfilled. He goes on to 4-4. This one's about competition. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, right? We know that competition is a good thing. There's a righteousness to competition. Proverbs talks about iron sharpening iron. Paul talks about this idea of, of spurring one another on to love and good works. There's this idea of pressing each other forward, a righteous competition of sorts. But if your only reason for competing is to just to always feel that you are a winner and you take some pleasure in seeing other people lose, that it is a chasing after the wind. Something that God intended for the good becomes something that's meaningless. Ecclesiastes 4.16, there was no end to all the people who were before them. This is talking about a ruler who comes to power with his own generation. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This means that, that, that in leadership, there, that there might be people that are excited to follow after you, but if you walk in leadership for any amount of time and then a new generation comes after, they might be ready for a new leader. And what this, this, this thing in Ecclesiastes is telling us that, hey, it's good to want to please people when you lead. But if the only reason is you're leading is to please people, you're going to be terribly disappointed because you can't please all the people all the time. And you have to know when it's ready to pass the baton to the next generation. Right? There's a chasing after the wind. There's something, there's a biblical principle here that even things that are good, if, if, you, if you stay there for too long or you ask more of it than you're supposed to ask, that which is good becomes destructive in your life. It's the great lesson of the parable of the prodigal son that inheritance belonged to him, but because he demanded it before it was his time, that's what was supposed to give him life destroyed him. A chasing after the wind. 
Another phrase we see repeated in Ecclesiastes is that all is meaningless. So the warning is that we must face our doubts and then move on. Don't make the mistake of letting your journey of dealing with your pain and doubts become your sole purpose in life. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I'll meet people, people that are visiting the church, and maybe they come forward for prayer, and they begin to tell a, of a story that's just it's tragic, and even your tears well up in your, in your eyes for them, even though they're a stranger, and you're thinking, this must have happened last month. Maybe this happened last week. And then as you're talking with them, all of a sudden you realize this happened 20 years ago. And my heart even breaks for them even more because I realize they are chasing after the wind. They're stuck in this place. Dealing with their pain and their hurt and their doubt has become their great project in life. I'm telling you, don't get stuck there. This idea of doubting God, this idea of dealing with your doubts and dealing with your pain, it is only to be for a season, which is one of the other great lessons for us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We go into that place of healing for a season, but if you're doing it the right way, as we're going to be talking about, especially with hope through this journey with Ruth and the four things we're going to pull for that, if we do it the right way, you're not going to get stuck there. You've got to risk getting stuck there. You tracking with me? You've got to risk getting stuck there, but if you do it the right way, you won't stay there. When you try to protect God from your true feelings, you are protecting yourself against hope. Now, there's a lot of things I want to protect myself against in this life. I want to protect myself against unhealthy influences. I want to protect myself from temptation. I want to protect myself from my vulnerabilities that are born out of my, my, my mistakes from my past, right? We can, come, we can all come up with our own lust. We, we use this idea of praying as the Bible, this, this idea of a hedge of protection. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it are safe. There's the, we get it. We get it, right? We, we want to protect ourselves. But can I just say, I want an open plane between me and God. If we're not careful, if, if you're not willing to be honest about your doubts, this idea I'm protecting myself, you're building up a wall that separates you from the goodness of God and the hope that he wants to put in your life. We're not protecting God from our feelings because he already knows those feelings are there. Don't buy into the lie of the enemy that that doubt is too big for you to deal with or that it's somehow it's violating your sense of faith by being honest about it. Let there be an open plane between you and your father. Be honest about the pain that's in your heart. You give it to him. I'm telling you, hope it will rise. All right, number two. You want to do one more? Come on, we got time. Let's do one more. Choosing church. Choosing church. You might say, Fred, there's nothing about church in the book of Ruth. And I would say, oh, the church is all over the book of Ruth. Because the book of Ruth is not just a book of history, it's a book of prophecy. Now, it's categorized in the academic realms as a history book, but we believe that all of Scripture is divinely inspired, so even the books of history are prophetic. Because everything that's written by God has a prophetic voice. Everything that God has given to us in Scripture, there's, there's a prophetic picture that we can find in there. And when we get to verse 7, we find a powerful prophetic picture that's given to us about the church. Verse 7, listen to this. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Now, where has she been living? She's been living in the land of Moab. Moab is a prophetic picture for us of a secular, godless society. You know how the, 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 the Moabite nation was born? Lot's daughters, after their mother died, got him 
drunk, not drunk with grief, but intoxicated in a bad way, slept with him. They both became pregnant, and all of those descendants are the Moabites. Ooh, right? Right? We understand about wanting to have a national legacy. We, we, right? If that's your, you want to run away from that legacy, right? This is how our people came to be. It is a picture for us of godlessness. It is a picture for us of hopelessness. It's interesting, isn't it, that Naomi and her family left the place of promise to a place of desolation. They left a place of promise even though it was hard there. They left a place of promise and said we're better off in a desolate, godless place than we are with our own people. This story takes place during the time of the judges. Before there were kings in Israel, there were a loose federation of 12 tribes. That should be tribes, not tribes. All right, just seeing that for the first time. All right, 12 tribes. And the time of the judges, some of you are thinking, I wonder what that word means, right? right. And the time of the judges could be described as a time of apostasy, a time of warfare, a time of decline and violence and moral decay and anarchy. But guess what? That's not describing the world. That's describing Israel. Who's the prophetic picture of the church? And you might say, well, I'm not sure much has changed. And I would say, sometimes that's true. We understand why they left. We understand that life was hard in Israel. There was a famine. That there was a time of moral decay and moral decline. It was though an entire nation had lost its way. We understand that what prompted them to say, we cannot stay here. So they left and they went to a place that was godless. They went to a place that was desolate. And it's interesting that when they got there, they began to thrive. It's interesting that when they first got there, things looked good. It's interesting, yeah, Elimelech, he died, but hey, that's a part of life. And, and then, but, but their sons, they met these daughters, and they were married for 10 years. They were making a life together, and then all of a sudden things took a terrible turn. What does Scripture tell us? There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of it is death. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end of it is death. I believe this is a prophetic part of our service tonight, specifically for some people that are here. For some of you, this is what you're saying. Churches have been my Israel. This is what you're saying. Some of you here tonight, you've not been in church for a long time. Because all the churches of your past, or many of the churches of your past, they've been in Israel to you. They've been a place of disappointment. They, they've, maybe they've been a play, a, 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 a tragic part of moral decay. Maybe you've been betrayed by, by churches so many times that you feel like a Elimelech and, 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 and Naomi and say, it's not good for us to stay here anymore, and so you left. And we can understand why people have, all of us who've been around churches for any amount of time, we've been hurt by the church, we've been disappointed in the church, we've found ourselves in churches and said, I, I'm not sure God's here, and we leave. The mistake we make, though, is the mistake that Elimelech and Naomi make is that we abandon the people of God for a godless society because there is a false hope that it's safer over there. And this has been part of your journey. I'm telling you, there's people in here tonight, this is their story written right up here on the screen, that you would say, Fred, I have found refuge in the secular world. It's less complicated there. People are more authentic there. I'm around, I live around people and I just, I know who they are. And it's just life, life's complicated in church. People are messed up in church. I know, it's a hospital, people. It's supposed to be messed up in here. 
right? You, you would say it's, when, when there's, there's been a sense of ease in my life since I've left the church, I get it. it. It might be, it might be that you needed to pull back for a time and a season. But then there's a time and a season to come home. I'm telling you, the book of Ruth is all about the church. Lake Naomi, there came a point in her journey where she says, maybe it's time for me to be with God's people again. There, there came a time in, in her journey where she said, I've heard stories of the place that I once called home, that God is doing a new thing there. Now, I'm not saying that that means that you've got to run back to the church that hurt you. That's not what I'm saying tonight. What I'm saying is you've got to be willing to find a church again that's healthy again because there's lots of churches like that out there. We're, we're not preaching about this tonight so that you come to the City Life Church. We're preaching this tonight so you find the church that you're supposed to be a part of. If you've been living your whole life relationally, abandoning yourself to a secular world, and you have disconnected yourself from the family of God, from a local church, from a spiritual community, if you've been there for too long and you know who you are because you feel it in your heart, you are Naomi in this room tonight, and God is saying to you, I have a people that are still out there. Go and find them. Don't stay where you are. You might say, well, Fred, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just got to tell you, I'm going to choose secular over hypocrisy all day long. I, I feel your pain. But hypocrisy is misunderstood. Dictionaries don't even get it right. They say hypocrisy is, is, is not practicing what you preach. Well, hey, can we just say we're all hypocrites? Because what we preach is perfection. What we preach is the Word of God. It's, it's a perfect standard. We're going to all be hypocrites for the rest of our lives because we're never going to fully practice what we preach, Right? Hypocrisy is not not fully practicing what you preach. Hypocrisy is pretending as though you're not imperfect. Hypocrisy is about not being honest about your imperfections. Hypocrisy is about not being honest by the reality that what we preach and teach is a standard that's so high we'll never attain it. Our goal in life is to just do better than we did yesterday. All of us in this room are hypocrites. But we are not a church of hypocrisy. We are a church of authenticity because we're honest about how messed up we are. That's a sign of a healthy church. We could do a whole sermon on this. The idea of a remnant throughout Israel is a powerful word. Ezra here in 9.15 says, O Lord, God of Israel, you are just. We welcome, we, 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 we come before you in our guilt as nothing but an escaped remnant, though in such a condition, none of us can stand in your presence. You want to find a healthy church, find a church that's honest about their brokenness. Find a church that says, God, we understand your standard is too high for us. We understand that we mess up. We understand that we fail, but we're not going to let that keep us from your presence. That's a remnant. And I'm telling you, there are lots of remnants all throughout the city. The remnant throughout the story of Israel was not a group of people that God kept who were perfect. It was a group of people who were honest about how imperfect that they were. And so many times where Israel strayed away, they strayed away because they lost their sense of need for God. We are a church here at the City Life Church. We are desperate for God. We are desperate for His grace. We are desperate for His mercy. We are desperate for only the kind of hope that He can give to me and that He can give to you. We want to be a church that's a remnant. Listen to me. When you abandon your place in a local church, you abandon hope. When you abandon your place, when you abandon your place in a local church, you abandon hope. For some of you, it's time to come home. 
We're going to invite the worship team to come back up. Give a shout out to Shanika for posting this online this week. I read it and I thought to myself, well, that is going to be a great close to a sermon one day. And I was praying this week and I was like, I think it's going to be this week. This is a powerful story. Many of you, maybe you don't even know who this is. You're going to know about him tonight. Spanish runner Ivan Fernandez Anaya is still receiving attention for a race that he lost December 2nd of 2012. Not a race he won, but a race that he lost. He was running second, some distance behind the race leader who was Abel Mutai. Abel Mutai was the bronze medalist in the 3,000-meter steeplechase at the London Olympics. Now, this is a separate race. Sometime after the Olympics, you're, you're tracking with me, they're, 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 they're in this race, it's a, it's a cross-country race, and they entered the finishing straight, and he, talking about Ivan Fernandez Anaya, he saw the Kenyan runner stop. He mistakenly pulled up about 10 meters before the finish line, thinking he had already crossed it, right? So he's been running hard, he's won this race, he gets about 10 meters from the finish line, he thinks he's done, so he stops. People are hollering at him. He doesn't speak their language. He thinks they're cheering for him. He doesn't know that they're saying, no, you've not crossed the line yet. Fernandez and Ayo quickly caught up with him. But instead of exploiting Mutai's mistake to speed past and claim an unlikely victory, he stayed behind. And using gestures because they didn't speak the same language. Come on, the language of hope transcends all people. He stayed behind him and using gestures, he guided the Kenyan to the line and let him cross first. When he was interviewed after, you know, he acted like it was not that big of a deal. He said, hey, he was the rightful winner. He created a, a gap so large, I could have never closed it unless he had made a mistake. It's a powerful story, isn't it? I don't know about you, when I read that story this week, the first word that came to mind was hope. It gives us hope to find people in the world who do the right thing, when the right thing robs us, maybe things that we felt entitled to. It's not easy to be a person of hope. It's not easy to be a source of hope in the world in which we live. Let me read this verse to you in Romans 12, verse five. Romans 12, verse five, oh, this is a good verse. Listen to this. So it is with Christ's body, we are many parts of one body, and we all, listen to this one word, we all belong to each other. We all belong to each other. Stand with me. Father, we want to be a people who belong to one another. We, we want this message to turn right here, Father, in our hearts. Because if, if there's doubts that we need to bring to you, we want to bring them to you right now as we step into this moment of worship together. God, if we've been a people that have lived our lives as spiritual orphans and we've disconnected ourselves from a place that we're supposed to call home that, that in this moment of worship that we're going to start listening to you and find your guidance that Psalm 119 105 is going to be true for us and your words a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path but even beyond all of that oh God let it be that we would see that this journey that we are called on to be a people of hope it's not just for us we're supposed to belong to each other. That our journey of hope is not just for me. It's for the person to my right and to my left and in front of me and behind me. We're supposed to be stories of hope that light up this world. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said together, amen. Let's worship together.